We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna I am buying it because they're giving him the first team reps. I mean, he got the first... First team rep on, of training camp on Thursday. He got the first first team rep on Saturday. And Josh Allen is out there, and he's having ups and downs, and that's what you expect out of a rookie. That's his experience. I'm more surprised that A.J. McCarron is taking a back seat right now. And you might think, okay, well, Peterman was there a year ago. But this is a new offense that both of them are learning under Brian Dable, and Peterman is picking it up faster. And I got to say, I, I feel for Bills fans because – you're coming off your first playoff spot in 17 years. You finally got a great young head coach in Sean McDermott, and you're expecting to take a step up. But instead, you're starting a guy potentially that threw five interceptions in his only uh, start of the season a year ago. And you're thinking, is this team really going to get better? They have three new offensive linemen. They're very thin at wide receiver, and it's going to come down to the preseason. But I'm telling you, Nathan Peterman has a shot to start week one. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was NFL Network's Greg Rosenthal. Two G's, G-R-E-G-G. Oh, my God. Chris, we're only a week into the NFL training camps, and the mainstream media has already illustrated that they, again, Really don't know anything about the Buffalo Bills. Well, we didn't take uh, Michael Robinson's opinion last week for <laughs> granted because of you know what he's done the last two years. But he said he believes Nathan Peterman is a starter. Greg Rosenthal also believes that the same thing. Could this thing have legs? <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Guys, for those of you who are new to the show, we are a... Uh, we try to uh, emanate barroom sports talk. You know, insightful takes. We bring some analysis. Uh, we have a couple beers. You know, a little irreverence. That's what the podcast is all about. Dude, so, I, I, dude I like that it's technically the season began on Thursday. First practice was on Thursday. And then by Monday morning, you are already into it on Twitter with 
national media members. <laughs> Folks, on Monday, I mean, I try to be a reasonable human being, and I understand that arguing with people on social media is the worst. Okay, when you're talking about in terms of level of importance, the ways I could spend time during my day, there's a million avenues I could take for it. Arguing with somebody on social media is probably right down there with cleaning out the gunk that accumulates under my toenails occasionally. I mean, it's down there on the list of priorities of mine. But that's how I spent my Monday. I kicked off Monday by stumbling into an argument between local radio personality and sports writer Nate Geary and ESPN's Mike Clay. I know, it's thrilling stuff. In this instance, the debate started with Michael Clay saying that, of the Cleveland Browns, mind you, because he is infatuated with this idea that they're going to be a great, that they're a wild card contender this year. His quote was, they're not an 0-16 team, they're a 0-0 team like every other team. And asserted that given this, it's improper to call them a bad football team. Or to say that they'll be terrible. All Nate did was retweet it and say that it would be nice if he could take that sentiment and apply it evenly to all these other football teams that he finds a way to bash. Rather than just when it's convenient for whatever narrative he feels like pushing that day. Given the fact that he every single year is down on the Buffalo Bills. Especially last year. Where he said that on paper we had one of the worst rosters in football. My, this is what my thing is about, about reading reading all of all of that jazz. And in, in his article, like the headline was from like Owen sixteen to wild card sleeper. How many wins does it take generally to get in the wild card? About nine. Nine, if you're lucky, usually ten. Yeah, ten wins is the guarantee. So you're telling me Cleveland is going to improve ten wins? You got to be joking my ass. It's not happening. Well, and, and so this is what, you know, as generally seems to be the case, no sooner had Nate, you know, as, as well as some other intelligent Buffalo Bills fans who kind of started piling into the argument, because that's what happens when you argue on social media, which is why it's one of the banes of my existence. He made, they, they all kind of made a valid point or two about Clay's yearly dislike of the Buffalo Bills. In swoops, Evan Silva from rotowire.com from left field to announce that his quote-unquote statistical analysis says that the Bills were terrible, were a terrible football team last year and will be worse this year. Again, groundbreaking stuff. At this point, I felt like I had to get a jab in and just kind of asserted that the way that they love to piss everybody in the world off and just jump to each other's aid completely unnecessarily over everything, that they remind me of the 1980s wrestling tag team of the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, the Foreign Legion, okay? Just with worse facial hair. I mean, guys, think about it. If Mike Clay were to shave, picture what he looks like. He, if he were to shave off that Sidney Crosby-looking goatee or whatever it is he's shooting for, well, he, he would look like a real-life Nick, version of Nickelodeon's Doug. Yeah, I saw that you put out that he tweet. He would be dog you, put, you did put out the tweet side by side. I had no idea. <laughs> surprising, I had no idea what that cartoon was. During our last show, I brought up the fact that too much was being made about the fact that Pete Prisco and his nonsensical take that the Bills would be 3-13 and this season. Just too much was being made of it. I was thinking about it, and I was taking this argument into, into consideration. The more attention I pay to sports... From the monetary aspects to the analytics and statistical analysis and film breakdown that goes into really 
trying to put together a quality podcast here, the less respect I have for a lot of the people who work in mainstream sports media. I mean, it's not usually a, you know, this guy's a hack, this guy's a terrible writer sort of a thing. That's not what it comes down to. It's just that what I see is guys who have the talent to do better and are just either inherently lazy or self-serving. Anybody, regardless of how big their platform is, who tries to say that they know, quote-unquote, insert outcome here, because they've studied numbers slash talked to people who are in the know or just simply know more than you. When it comes to how sports teams are going to fare in the future are usually one of two things. They're either one, delusional, or two, they're doing so in bad faith. I mean, all they're trying to do is draw attention to themselves, thus creating revenue and giving themselves a longer, a larger following, even if it's just a perceived following that's just a pack of outraged fans who want to argue with you about points that you're making that maybe revolve around cherry-picked statistics and things that don't ultimately end up making a difference. When I saw the link to his article about Brown's 0-16 to wildcard contender, just as an average, I didn't click on it, but as an average fan, I would have thought, like, this is clickbait. Like, oh, I would, lo- how do you improve 10 wins in one season? That sounds like it's never been done before. <laughs> and I think the worst part about it is that these types of guys, when they're right, they will crow about it and they will use it as evidence that they quote unquote, know more than you. And when they're wrong, they shrug because it's sports. Anything can happen. It's a hustle. And I guess I can't take that away from them. But I don't have to respect it. In fact, I challenged Mike Clay and Evan Silva to a Seagram's and charitable donation bet over his takes that the Browns would be better than the Buffalo Bills. I mean, think about how many, Chris, think about how many people have lost to us on that front already just by backing the Cleveland Browns. As of the start of this podcast, I have not received a response. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? Go figure. I finally found something that he won't try to rebuttal. Actual accountability. Shocker. Both Clay and Evan Silva are going to hear about this from me every single week until the season starts. Don't you? If for no other reason, Chris, then because when it comes to stuff like this, I I can be an incredibly petty human being. Haven't you been, like, saving screenshots of their tweets? Yes. Because, again, petty. I want to remind them all of the times Evan Silva said that the Bills roster got worse and that we're going to be a bottom five team this year. So, I guess to the rest of you, in the coming weeks, when some pundit or some member of the national media goes off half-cocked, and bashes your team, whatever team you might support, or says that they think you might be the first team to achieve a negative win total for the season before it even gets underway, or that statistics show that your team is going to... Don't get mad. Don't tweet storm. Certainly don't try to argue with them. Instead, just accept the fact that a lot of these guys are and may always be the Toby Flenderson to your Michael Scott then go get a beer and celebrate the fact that not only are you a part, especially for Bills fans, a fan base of one of the best damn sports on the planet, but that all of the talk is going to end in just a few short weeks because football is finally back. And now, guys, it's it's a real honor for me personally 
you know, there's some things that you get to do when you have a podcast. There's there's some people you get to reach out to, talk, talk to, to you know, just just to pick the brains of. You know, sometimes it's a player, sometimes it's a coach, sometimes it's you know interviewing people, doing something that really stand out to you, that really mean something to you. And tonight we have a very special guest joining us. Joining us tonight from the Bills Inner Circle is one of the most recognizable fans in uh, Buffalo's history, Mr. Ezra Castro. Also known as Pancho Villa. <laughs> he is currently... Well, look, this past week he's been battling he had chemotherapy he's been battling cancer and but this is not to dampen his spirit and his love for the game and his bills wow that's Ezra. So nice Pancho Villa can you please join us on stage oh, oh yeah man. that is awesome Fred Jackson and Andre Reed. What a moment. That is awesome. That tells you about that Bills community, too, about how the players interact with their fans and how that city embraces and the players embrace the city back. Well said, Charles. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Bills Mafia. With the 96th pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, our Buffalo Bills select... Harrison Phillips, defensive tackle, Stanford. Yeah, baby, beat all those bills. Oh, Mr. Ezra Castro, Pancho Bila himself, on the show with us tonight. Ezra, how are you doing tonight? Oh, after that clip, I'm a little teary-eyed. <laughs> I was doing good, man. I would say, how often do you how often do you watch that or listen to that? Every day, I promise you, every day before I go to sleep, um, you know, I check my final messages, I go to my Twitter feed, I have it pinned on there, and I hit play and I watch it every night. Man, I'm telling you, this 2000, 2017 and 2018, I mean, it's been a hell of a year for you, man. Uh, you're, yeah. And I think, I think one of the craziest parts about this is that everybody, everybody sees the mask, they see the, the sombrero. They see the wild outfit, <laughs> the, the wild outfits you rock. I'm interested about the guy behind all that. Ezra Castro, president of the Dallas-Fort Worth Bills backers. Proud father, sure. diehard Bills fan. Stage four carcinoma, pancreatic cancer. Now, everybody knows somebody out there who's been affected by cancer. I mean, it's a reality of life these days, it seems like. But you and your perseverance through it is in and of itself a testament to just faith and willpower. Thinking back to what we talked about on this very show last week about Jim Kelly and his message, I mean, just g getting to talk to you, I mean, I, well, we walked, I walked away from that conversation and I was like, I have to reach out to him because I'd really, I wanted to talk to you before and that hearing Jim Kelly speak just made it, it just jumped out to me. When you watched that, I mean, did, did, what kind of a chord did it strike with you personally? Oh, man, I was uh, – the video tribute they did for Jim Kelly, I mean, I was I, – I got teary-eyed. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, that was so touching and so inspirational. And uh, it, it made me rethink of how much Jim's been through and, you know, his perseverance as, you know, as strong as he's been. And uh, 
it uh it 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 made the flame I've got inside me burning right now. It just made the flame bigger and it just gave me, you know, that extra strength that I needed that one day and um made me feel good to be a Buffalo Bills fan. It really did and made me feel even better now that I'm considered a honorary Buffalonian. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it made me feel real, real good inside. It really did. It was, I'm, I'm glad I was able to to watch that, and I'm glad I watched it with my my kids. And they they sort of felt my emotion with it too, and I think they sort of understood. Um, but uh, yeah, it just felt real good to to watch that. I mean, now you, I mean, the whole world has gotten to see Poncho and all his glory at the NFL draft, and that had to be one of the coolest moments ever. But I guess as a season ticket holder. As a person who sits, I mean, I bumped into you once in the concourse at a game, and I just remember thinking that you. It's like, first of all, it's hot out here. What what is that guy? What is that guy doing? <laughs> but I thought the outfit was cool. I thought it was awesome. You 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 know, people see that. But as a guy who's, I mean, and you've done a lot of mainstream media interviews lately. But I guess as someone who, from my perspective, as someone who sits in those same stands you do. And someone who just is just as passionate and just as excited about this team who, you know, freezes and <laughs> sits out there and dies of heat <laughs> and being a fan of this team with all of their struggles. I mean, it's like a brotherhood for anybody who can weather the storm that we have for the last almost 20 years right. together. It's like the red badge of courage. It's an exclusive club that I, I don't care how cold it is, how rough it is, how hard the games are to watch sometimes. It's something that a lot of people at home wish they could be a part of. And it just knowing that you're out there doing the same thing I'm doing, I just thought that, that was pretty cool. And it, it gives me a little bit of, I don't know, I just want to see things from your perspective. When you come here to Buffalo, I mean, what is it when you tailgate? I, mean, I, I want. I want to get to know about what you like to do. Tailgate. Uh, where, where do you guys normally go? Day, so I, I usually. Um, well, I not usually. I always tailgate with the Red Pinto tailgate. Um, I'm sure you all have heard of Pinto Kenny. Oh, absolutely. Pinto Ron, you know, and he's he's taken me under his wing for a few years and really taught me a lot about you know uh, building the persona of Pancho Villa and. How I should represent myself and and how I should you know treat the fans and treat the media even sometimes you know because mm-hmm. he was in a in a big media stream um, and I, I've grown a lot of love for that guy um, but I love tailgating there uh, I love meeting the fans um, all the people that reach out to me you know then and they ask me what games are you coming to I want to meet you I try to make it a point to to make that reality happen for them because. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they have the time to reach out to me and want to meet me, I mean, I'm going to make the time to, you know, my the best I can to get out there and meet them. Uh, you know, and then, of course, the game day experience. Um, gosh, you know, it. Uh, there's nothing better. Remember, I'm from Texas, so <laughs> the heat doesn't bother me being in a mask and a poncho. I mean, you know, 80-degree weather, I know it's hot for people up there. I mean, that's perfect for me, man. I mean, it's beautiful weather. I'll take that any day. And then, of course, with the cold weather, I mean, I'm an advantage wearing my poncho, so, you know, I can easily cover up pretty good. <laughs> that's I didn't even think about that. Yeah, well, that's an easy cover-up. Now, we uh, ask a lot of these questions just to try to – it helps people connect with you. It humanizes you, you know what I mean? Because they get to learn about, hey, I like to tailgate. What's your favorite food? 
If you had to pick a food when you're tailgating, what's your what's your go to? Um, it's it's gonna be buffalo wings. To be ah, honest with you, right. uh, any any style, either smoked, grilled, um, you know, uh, whatever, however they're made, homemade and brought to the tailgate, purchased at a store. I, I don't care if it's a wing. <laughs> uh, I'm throwing I'm throwing some down, and um, I'm assuming the wings I, in Texas probably aren't as good as the wings in Buffalo. Oh no no no! They're not <laughs> as good now. Where I run the like you mentioned earlier, the Bill's Backers Bar, we've sort of you know trained our our cooks how to really cook them, and they've got them down pretty good uh, for the Bills fans here in Dallas Fort Worth. Um, so, but yeah, to find wings here locally, now nah, there's there's no way. I, I eat a lot of tacos down here. It's pretty much what I eat. <laughs> I can I can kind of vouch for Pancho here on, on this because. Pancho, I used to be in, involved with the, the board members of the Atlanta Bills backers, and we uh, kind of trained the cooks at our, uh, at our bar to make beef on weck. And, like, they, yeah. didn't, they didn't know where to find the Kimmelweck rolls or how that gets made, and, and we had, like, a local bakery in Atlanta make them, and we, we showed the chefs at Hudson <laughs> Grill in Atlanta how to do a beef on weck. So being the president of a Bills backers chapter, I mean, that's got to be, first and foremost, how many members are out there in the Dallas-Fort Worth chapter? I mean, if you had to ballpark. Locally, that, that's here active in, in the two locations that, that we run, I would say easily about 550 members. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, you guys are right in the heart of Cowboys country. You're so close to Arlington. Yeah. What is that like, being Bills fans, all, all getting together and trying to party somewhere on a Sunday? Like, Does the random Cowboys fan ever walk through the door of the bar and just turn around and leave? All the time. No, it's funny. All the time. They, they'll walk in in like groups of five or six, you know, thinking they can just walk in and get a table. And, you know, an hour before kickoff, the bar's, the bar's full. It's maxed out. I mean, there's no way. And they, they just walk right out, and you can hear them hear them complaining and shaking their heads and all that. And <laughs> I mean, there's to be, to be honest, we have one TV that shows cowboy games. Um, and that's just so we can watch them lose. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. It's, nobody, it's the smallest TV in the bar. Isn't and I'm talking about, you know, a bar full of about 40 plus TVs. And there's one TV that we always put the cowboy game on uh, just so we can watch them lose. And we love cheering when, you know, a team scores against them or whatever. And That is fantastic. Um, and, yeah. yeah. It's pretty I, funny. I can, vouch, I can vouch for Poncho on, on the bar being full for an hour. For me in Atlanta, I made sure I always got to the bar at 11 o'clock in the morning. No, I mean, right. Bills, Bills fans party better than any other, I, in my opinion, better than any other fan base on earth. So, little known fact about Poncho Bila. He has three brothers. Two, right. of the, two of them are Broncos fans. The other, Jaime, is a diehard Cowboys fan, who much, <laughs> yeah. like, who much like you, Ezra, is known for his extravagant game day attire. I mean, the guy has this getup. He's got this <laughs> massive, cow, like, massive novelty-looking Cowboys helmet that in the middle of the star has stickers of legendary Cowboys head coach Tom Landry with the signature hat on and everything. Yeah. I, I got to ask the question, first of all, who started dressing up first, you or Jaime? Oh, I did. I've been doing <laughs> it since 2008. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he just slowly, just recently, about maybe three, four years ago, started, you know, creating his own character. And <laughs> it, 
to be honest, it's something that Dallas needed. There was really no um, super fan, cowboy super fan that really, 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 really stood out that way. And he he's done a good job with it, and he's built his name Balls Mahoney. That's what he goes by. <laughs> ECW, <laughs> ECW. I love it. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, well, he, he he goes back to uh, what's that 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 old eighties cop movie uh, yes. Academy? Yes, Academy. Police Academy. Yeah, Police Academy, and uh, and I mean, and, and Dallas. I mean, they do have their super fans, but he he said, "Man, I'm I'm gonna roll with this." And you know, he's he's quickly rising here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, he's a he's a Dallas police officer, so he's got their backing, and mm-hmm. um, you know, he he attends every home game. Obviously, it's in his backyard. And, oh yeah. Uh, He's he's done a good job with it. So I've and he's ask. actually asked me for some advice sometimes, you know, hey, how do you think I should approach this or that? And you so, know, I'm it's weird my older brother asking the younger one for some advice, right? Right? So, hey, how do I how do I manage my getup? So yeah. what was it like growing up in a household full of teams that I mean, for the most part, I mean, you talk about it up until the nineties, there was that Super Bowl run. But even then, your brother's team in back-to-back years. I mean, um, what was it like growing up in a household where your brothers were f- diehard fans of other fan ba- of other teams that were in direct competition with us? I tell you, it was tough, and like you said, especially in those two Super Bowl years when we played the the Cowboys. I'm I'm so glad the Broncos are in the AFC because that would have been bad. <laughs> um, but. And and uh, my dad's a huge Cowboys fan, so it was you know it's pretty much two on one, you know, dad and son versus you know brother. And, uh, <laughs> the lone Bills fan in the house. Oh. The lone Bills fan, and uh, you know my dad wanted me to be a Cowboys fan at first, and I, I totally rejected the idea and chose the Bills. Um, so you know we we had our fun with it, but you know come I'd say about maybe three four days before the game it was like hey you go to your room I'll stay in my room don't talk to me <laughs> you know we'll we'll see each other on Sunday and we'll let the teams do the talking on the field and uh, good times man I, I wish I could go back to those days and you know just relive them again with my brother because you know we were both young and you know no bills to pay no. Diapers oh, of change, yeah. nothing. Life, and, life you know, you're just sweet. watching. You're watching football. You're watching future legends, you know, play. And, <laughs> oh. and the game, the game has changed so much, as you guys know. You know, back then there was no tuck rules or none of that stuff. You know, it was it was straight up football, and so it was it was great to be a part of it growing up with my brother with, with all the rivalries. So to bring it back to that moment in that the, we just the clip we just played for you. To hear Fred uh-huh. Jackson talk, I know, right? It, it, to hear Fred Jackson talk about it on NFL Network after the draft, he and Andre came up with the idea to get you on stage to announce the pick kind of in the green room. They were talking about it, and they said, listen, this guy's here. We got to do this. And he gave praise to the team and their PR unit for putting it, helping them put it all together. Now, right. you were there. You were rocking the trademark mask. So I can't, you know, I can't really see your face when I watch the video. To show up at the draft not initially expecting to be brought up on stage, can you just walk me through what it felt like the moment they called your name and you knew you were going to get up there in front of all these people? In fact, the moment that you knew that for that moment, you're not just up there shaking hands with Andre Reed and Fred Jackson. You're not just meeting the commissioner. You're literally standing at the center of the football world for a minute. What was that like? Um, Man, it... 
I mean, obviously, it felt really, really awesome inside. Um, and you, you can tell by some of the videos out there, I, I got emotional just them even just mentioning my name, you know, giving me that that small recognition. Um, it, it felt so good inside that, you know, hey, they're acknowledging me. They're acknowledging I'm here. They're acknowledging that I just got off chemo yesterday, the other day. You know, uh, I wasn't going to let it hold me back to be here. Um and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I just hear the word stage, you know, join us on stage. And um, I was standing on a chair and, you know, just cheering and, you know, being emotional and pumping my heart. And I, I seriously, I, I, it's, it's hard to go back and remember whether <laughs> I walked or my buddies carried me to the stage or how I, how I got there. It, it's, it's really surreal on how I got up there. And like you said, before I know it, I'm shaking their hands. I turn around and there's about 30,000 people just looking at me and all these flashes going off. And, you know, they're telling me, hey, we're glad you're here. Let's turn around. Let's take some pictures. And, you know, Fred tells me, hey, we're going to let you announce the pick. And if you watch that film, you can hear him telling me. And I, I, I put my hand to my heart like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. It's going to happen. And, uh, oh man, the, the Bills backers, the DFW Bills backers just started getting real crazy once they saw him hand oh, me that I'm card. Sure. And, um, oh, I'm sure having all your friends there, I mean, that had to be an incredible moment. I, mean, I, can, I, I can tell you, I can tell you right now, just because me producing the podcast, I always take into account how people sound when they speak. It right. sounded like you were prepared for it. You, it, you didn't. I didn't hear any any hesitance in your voice. You came out there, you owned the microphone. That's what I, that's what I love about it. You came out, you owned the microphone, yeah. and and you said. And my favorite part of it is you said our Buffalo Bills. Select. Our Buffalo Bills. Yeah. I know it, man. I, I mean, what, uh, I, what I love about I'll all be this- honest. I, I I did. You know, when when the whole movement and all that started with hashtag Poncho's pick. I, I said, I told my girlfriend, I was like, maybe I should practice if I do get called or, you know, <laughs> something crazy happens. And I mean, here's the thing. I didn't want to go up there and misrepresent the organization or myself and act a fool on the microphone like I've seen in the past. And I said, if I get this opportunity, I want to change the opportunity for the future for other fans or super fans to have the same opportunity that I just, you know, got. And, you know, it was like, I'm going to be, I'm not going to take advantage of the mic. I'm not going to scream something crazy, (laughs) you know, no smashing tables or, you know, none of that stuff. You know, I'm just going to go up there, do my job and sit back down and continue enjoying the draft. And that's the way I envisioned it if it were to happen. And, you know, I heard it from Kim Pagula this past week. You know, you represented the way we exactly envisioned how we wanted a fan to represent us, and I was I was so thankful I was able to stay composed and do that. I mean, Ezra, you you just echoed my own sentiment about the subject. I mean, you're you're an inspirational guy, and considering all of the negative press out there that exists about Bills Mafia and the lunatic fringe of our fan base. I mean, we have some of the most passionate fans in football, and sometimes that energy gets gets released in some very exotic ways, we'll call it. Right. I'd like to think that you, in that moment, I don't know, and just in the way you've conducted yourself, the way you've handled all this, the media tour, all of it, 
you've shown much of the world all of the good that we as Bills fans are capable of. And the fact that we bring just the good we bring to each other's lives and the camaraderie and the support that we have for each other. So, so thank you for, for representing our fan base that way. Yeah, it also, sound, it also sounded like you had been yelling a lot <laughs> versus hearing you right now. Your voice seemed well, a little hoarse. That was, that was the, the girlfriend breaks up with you and you really loved her and she's walking away voice, you know. I was, I, was, I was teary-eyed. I was crying, you know, and I was holding that cringe in, you know. Um, obviously, you know, people's voices change when, when you're crying. And I was, I was really teary-eyed up on that stage. Um, and that was the best voice I could come out with, you know. And, <laughs> and I'll be honest, I don't know that when I yelled out Sarah, uh, um, Stanford at the end, you know, that just, that I, I built that energy and I just, you know, Stanford. And I threw in that last Viva Los Bills. Cause you know, that's my saying. And oh, of course, um, I, I, I'm just glad I got through it, you know, and I'm glad it was an easy name to read too. I'm glad it wasn't some <laughs> easy name to, to read, <laughs> you know? So you got another opportunity recently. To, to, you came and made your very first pilgrimage up here to Buffalo. Well, actually, technically Rochester, New York, for your first Bills training camp experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I've been there. I've, I, I've, I've. We've gone. Obviously, we're close enough. We've gone together. I, You've also been as a member of the media. Yeah, I, I've, I've been down there. But I've got questions for you because I, I think that it's always special the first time somebody shows up to this type of thing. I mean, first, especially being you, being what right now is one of the faces of our, I guess, our fan base. What was it like to sit in the stands in an environment like that where everybody knew you, knew who you were, couldn't, you know, couldn't wait to meet you? I mean, it kind of, you kind of had to feel like a rock star, right? Yeah. <laughs> one, I, did, I never got to sit down in the stands. <laughs> uh, as, as soon as I got there, I mean, one, I was impressed by the whole setup. The Bills did a great job with the Bills store, you know, uh, the fan interaction, the, the vendors, the, the gifts that they had for the fans. I mean, it was just it was all perfect. I wouldn't change one thing about it. Um, but, yeah, you know, I got there and uh, it, it immediately started once the mask went on and I went through security without it. I mean, I, it, it started. It, it took me about an hour just to get to the actual practice field. Um, <laughs> and I, I had a feeling that was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. And I. I, I wanted to go there. Part of the reason I wanted to go there was for the fans because they've been really supportive of me. I mean, daily messages and prayers and, and inspirational quotes, things like that every single day. And I, I said, part of this trip is for the fans. And, you know, if I if I got to be out there taking pictures in the heat and, you know, signing autographs, whatever for the kids, I mean, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm in no rush. I've got nowhere else to go. There's nothing else planned. My time is the camp time, and I'm gonna do whatever I gotta do to to make it successful. And you were a, uh, it was you just were a, a surreal moment to By be there. By all accounts, you sir were a hit. I mean, I don't know how many pictures I saw of random pe- people I know who I didn't even know were going to camp on Facebook, <laughs> on Twitter, on Instagram. Look, hey, but oh, look at me and Pancho. I'm like, see, look at this guy. Nope. You were you were just. You were incredible to a lot of them. Just to hear it recounted by some of my friends, you actually took a picture with my one friend's son who was there, and I thought that was I thought that was incredibly cool. 
just that you were out there interacting with the fans. And then, uh, you know, I, <laughs> since we're talking about training camp and your experience there, what were some of your favorite moments? I mean, I saw that you got to meet Harrison Phillips after you got to call out his pick. You met him up close and personal. Chris and I saw a photo of him on Twitter announcing that he had gifted his mom a new refrigerator after the draft. He was easily he was easily bigger than the refrigerator. <laughs> what was it like getting to meet that guy and stand that close to somebody who's just this just this massive human being? Well, one, it hurt my neck looking up at that guy from my <laughs> surgery I had in December. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's a big guy. Um, but, you know, that was that was one thing that was in the back of my head that at camp I said, man, this is going to be the time I'm going to get to meet Harrison, if, it, if, if, if any, you know. And, I mean, it was just so, so awesome to meet him. I mean, such a great guy. Uh, gave me inspirational, you know, words. Um you know, it, uh, it was so, again, it was just so surreal that I'm actually on the field talking to him. You know, he's all sweated up after practice <laughs> and, you know, probably wanted to go in and take a shower, drink a Gatorade or something. But he took the time and he in no way rushed me out of his way. I mean, he seriously took the time to, you know, see how I was feeling, you know, make sure I was taken care of. I, I make sure I had somewhere to stay the night, you know. Um, I mean, he just really humble guy. I mean, we've, it's like we're building a, a really cool friendship and I'm really enjoying the ride with it. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I want to call him my friend now because, you know, he, he really is, uh, a nice guy that way that he's, he's accepted me and he signed my Jersey that I actually got handed at the draft from Andre Reed. I took it out there and he signed it. Um, and he wrote on the jersey you know thank you for making my draft an unforgettable experience and he just reminisced on that how he was at home and watching the draft and he got the phone call from the bills and he's seen this super fan being called up on stage he's like wait a minute what's going on here you know (laughs) trying to hang up the phone and yet still trying to hear the the call of his name and um you know just gave me props on the hour buffalo bills Gave me props how I called out his 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 college, you know, with such enthusiasm. And I said, you know, man, that, that I, I envisioned to do it that way. And, and and I got that surge after being so emotional on the stage that I was able to do it. And I, I mean, it was really cool to just meet the guy. Um, it really was. Now, off air, you were telling me that you're going to be traveling to Canton tomorrow. And you're going to be attending this yes, week's sir. Hall of Fame ceremonies, right? Yeah, so I'm a I'm a member of the Pro Football Ultimate Fan Association, um, which is you know semi to like a Hall of Fame of fans. I was inducted in 2011, and uh, we have a reunion every year, and we get together and we do local charitable events in Canton, Ohio, uh, for kids. And uh, this is a 20 year reunion. So um, again, just like camp, I'm in good health. It's my rest week from chemo. Um, I've got a supportive girlfriend who says, honey, just go. And um, that's what I'm planning to do. I'm going to go out there, represent the Bills at the parade, the little Hall of Fame parade they have, um, do my, my charitable events and, you know, meet with the other super fans throughout the NFL that uh, also love me and support me and have been there for me. Uh, I mean, it's just incredible to see that you're you're out there, man. I mean, 
it's this sounds incredible. All the all the work you're doing for other people and all the things that you're doing yet you're the one who's suffering. And yet to talk to you yeah. now it's it's <laughs> I, a lot of people would turtle up and would feel sorry for themselves and just to see the way you've persevered. I mean it's incredible for me. Like I, I like I said cancer happens. I people know almost everybody out here listening to this podcast right now knows somebody affected by cancer. We talked about it last week. I broke the news. My uncle has uh, stage four liver, brain, and lung cancer. And it's the way, it's the mentality and the way you approach things that I think yeah. kind of shows who you are as a person. You, Ezra, you've just you've exuded nothing but confidence, enthusiasm. You've really just launched into, I'm going to beat this. And you, with the support of everybody around you, your fellow fans, you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible to get to talk to you here. That, that, that all of this has gone on in the last year, and you're here talking to me tonight. I just think that this entire thing is completely surreal. I'm almost running out of words, which which never happens if you ask <laughs> ask my wife. I never know how to shut up, and yet here I'm almost at a loss for words when I'm talking to you, guys. Keep an eye out for Poncho at you know at Canton at the stuff. If you're gonna go check out the uh, the, the events for kids, please go check that out. We're gonna get into that. I I want to say on behalf of Chris and I, the next time you're in town for a game. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't care. We would like to take you and your family out to dinner while you're here. Okay, we'd like to um, we'd, we'd like to take you guys out, treat you guys to a night out, just just to get to spend some time with you. Because to me, you are an incredible human being, and I just love I just love that you're you are becoming a face of this fan base. Something I think is sorely needed. And and off air. Not gonna obviously. I don't want this information going all over the place. I'm gonna get your PayPal information because I'm gonna send you a hundred dollars. And here's what I want you to do with that: when the Bills score the first touchdown of the Baltimore Ra- Baltimore versus uh, <laughs> Buffalo game, Week One, and you're hanging out at the bar, I want you to buy a round of drinks for these guys, okay? On behalf uh-huh. of the Rock Pile Report, because that's how we get down. That's how we and, get yeah, down. As, as, yeah, as, I don't know if you, as you can see, there's beer bottles on the table. We, <laughs> yeah. we, we get yeah, you're down. You're drinking Dos Equis. There you go. <laughs> oh, no, we're drinking. We're actually drinking Moosehead. Moosehead, but Moosehead. I'll tell you, Dos Equis is a fine beer. I'm a fan, <laughs> sir. <laughs> so, no, I appreciate the words you, you just said, and uh, I, I hope to continue to inspire people. And, uh, you know, when I first got diagnosed, I said – you know, the positive attitude is going to be half the battle, and I knew that. And I, I feel the most, you know, confident and powerful when I'm as Pancho with my mask on. And that's why I go to chemo treatments with my mask and my gear. I mean, I walk into the clinic carrying a sombrero or a mask, and people look at me weird. But the nurses love it, man. They, they love the enthusiasm. <laughs> and they, they always tell me, we wish every patient here had the same attitude you do. Because it, it, it's hard to come across, you know, nowadays people just get so so bummed out about their situation. But I knew it, I, I wouldn't be in that kind of a boat. And uh, I, I hope I inspire people, you know, not to give up, get up every day, just like Jim Kelly said. And, uh, you know, do what you got to do. Um, you got to keep living life and, uh, uh, you know, just uh, be a good person and, and persevere to do good. 
Ezra, can you do me one favor? As we yes, close sir. this out, can you hit me with a Viva Los Bills? Viva Los Bills! On Twitter, at PonchoBila1. PonchoBila, the number one. Fantastic to talk to him. I mean, Chris, it's incredible, and I mean it. I, I, I just... Being a season ticket holder, sitting in the stands, seeing that this is a, this is just another guy, you feel sort of I don't know. Since I have this platform, I've I've wanted the opportunity to talk to him. And I I just it, to me this was incredibly special here. It really was, and it's it, I I think that I I and I mean what I said. I really do believe that it he's a, he's kind of a guy who this story, this incredible story of his, paints the Bills fan base in a much different light than a lot of the other stuff that exists out there. A lot of the, 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 the jumping through flaming tables and people getting arrested for drinking beverages out of orifices they shouldn't. I, that's not who we are as Bills fans. That's a, that's a 1% or less of tailgates. And I think that this story of his really kind of shows that. You know, It shows that there is a family aspect to this football team. We are a tight-knit community, and we do look out and really respect each other for the most part. The fact that, that, that he is the, he's the, the president of Bills Backers, the Fort Worth, Dallas area, I think any Bills fan that travels to Dallas, whether it's for pleasure or for work, they're going to seek out that bar, especially if it's during the season. Mm-hmm. And I think for certain games, you know, that bar is just going to be packed. There might be, oh, a, there might be a wait. <laughs> I'm just glad we could get him on and you know really kind of talk to him about all of his experiences, including his uh, his first ever trip to training camp. I mean, that's always a special thing. I remember my first trip to training camp when I was a little kid. I remember being there one year, and my friend Neil had a ball. And this was after, for those of you who are old enough to remember, Bruce Smith at one point got mad about the fact that he signed autographs at training camp and then saw some of the exact merchandise he had signed for sale in memorabilia shops in the city. And he didn't like it. So at one point he had a policy that he just wasn't gonna he wasn't going to sign autographs for adults. He just wasn't gonna do it. So we're there and we're, I think they were they were at Fredonia still at that point. And Bruce Smith is walking by. He's got this football in his hand. And my buddy wants this football signed by Bruce so badly but there's a crowd of adults who are still trying to get in there and get something signed. And so my friend's just jumping and waving his football back and forth and yelling for Bruce and yelling for Bruce. And he saw us, but there was easily 15 people in between us and Bruce Smith. And we could barely see over the people in front of us. And Bruce, it was like the sea parted, the red sea parted and Bruce Smith with this crane looking arm. I mean, I just remember him, he looked like the largest human being I'd ever seen to that point in my entire life. Maybe even the biggest thing I'd seen in my life to that point. Reach over the crowd, grabs the football, and just takes it, signs it, and then puts it back into Neil's hand. And the thing about it was, you're talking about, this is when he's at the end of his career. Yeah, this because we hired Russ Brandon in 99, and then he moved it to Rochester, so this had to have been like, 98 and prior. Yeah. So you guys might, might have been, what, 11, 12 years old? Young. and But just that entire atmosphere was incredible. And just having that experience, knowing, like, this guy cared so much, it kind of painted the way I looked at him. I know a lot of people were, I guess, disappointed when he left. 
And some people were like, oh, well, you know, he should have retired as a bill and this, that, that. He shouldn't have kept playing, which is ridiculous to me in the first place. But he didn't have any say in it. He got let go. But at the same time, just having that always kind of colored my memories of him just as a player. And just having that experience as a kid and getting to feel that. You know, so knowing that Poncho got that, got to experience that, got to experience spending time with the players, getting to be near the field, getting to be around just a, a, a whole bunch of fans who were there for the same reason he's there, had to be amazing. Chris, I'm just, I'm really excited for him. I'm excited for his family. And, you know, <laughs> what can I say? I love this football team. So now that we're talking about training camp, that brings us into our kind of our breakdown. 2018 training camp week one. Highlights, lowlights, and other BS we feel like talking about. I don't want to start off on a negative note, but at the same time, I like to end the show on a high note. So we're going to start off with what I consider to be some of the lowlights from training camp this week. Nice and easy. That was not nice and easy. I'm going to start things off. You know, as training camp unrolls, kind of unfolds, there's always growing pains for every team in football. I mean, I remember looking through pro football talk and just looking through some of the headlines and seeing that at one point, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo had a practice where he went 0 for his first like eight or nine passes <laughs> to start a training camp practice. And, or maybe that was OTAs. I don't know. It was just, there are bumps in the road here. Well, the moral of that story is don't go to dinner publicly with a porn star. <laughs> The moral is. to that story is don't take any of this stuff too seriously, guys. As fans, I look at NFL training camp the same way I look at pro baseball. No one practice, no one game actually me- it doesn't make the biggest difference. What it is is I want to see a string. I want to look at a, a few practices, a week's worth of practices, and start to see trends because that's really all you can do at this point. You know, I know it's easy to get caught up in the minutiae, of what goes on when it's being tweeted. It's practice is being live tweeted by seven different people, and you've got videos coming out of, oh, look at this. Josh Allen throws this amazing ball, and then there's five more videos. Look at Josh Allen. He's a joke. He missed on a screen pass. You can't let that drag you down and color your opinions of things in terms of how this team is developing. Having said that, When I look at some of the things that I'm already concerned about, I'm going to start off with the nickel cornerback rotation. Heading into camp last week, we identified that the Bills' defensive backs were a strength of the roster heading into the season. But that's based on our assumption that whoever the team puts in at the nickel corner spot is going to be capable of handling that role. And at least at a minimum, doing as well as Leonard Johnson did last season for us. Through the first week of camp, there are signs starting to pop up that at least in my mind, are casting some doubt on that prospect. You've got Philip Gaines. I think he's a three-year veteran, formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs. Rookie Teron Johnson, fourth-round draft pick, who have kind of been going back and forth for starters reps at the position. If I'm to believe what I've read from a number of, because essentially my analysis consists of, I don't just read one writer. I take about four or five different contributors and writers from you know, Joe Biscalia, um, Sal Capaccio from WGR 550. Evan uh, Silva and Mike Clay? <laughs> no. No, shockingly no. Um, you know, Ryan Lacell and Icy Vic from over at Rock Sports Network. Eric Turner from Cover One and those. 
you look at all of these different outlets and you put them together and see if even though everyone's going to have maybe a difference of opinion on certain things they're seeing, because a lot of this is subjective. There's trends you can kind of start to spot between all of the similar reports. Based on what I've read, neither one of these guys has really distinguished themselves as a standout or as a bona fide starting caliber player. For me, that's a problem. You've got a three-year veteran who isn't exactly blowing the doors off of a rookie draft pick who was picked up in the fourth round. Of course, do you agree with me that that might be kind of a problem? It can be, but it might be nice to see them, you know, first preseason game is what, is what next Thursday? Well, and that's it. There, there's a lot of practice left, and we still we haven't even gotten to where the bullets are really flying. I just know that considering how important that position was to the 2017 Buffalo Bills, I don't know that I want a rookie getting handed that job right away simply because he's slightly better and younger than some guy who's also painfully mediocre. I want whoever wins that job to win it based on merit, not just because, oh, okay, well, you have experience or, hey, you're younger and don't have the injury history. I want somebody to step up and really earn the job of starting slot cornerback at an NFL level. I mean, I, I don't think that's asking a whole lot, Chris. Another thing that's really bothering me, the health of Vontae Davis and kind of where he's at in his recovery. I mean, that's another blow to the future of our secondary. The fact that by Leslie Frazier's own admission, Davis still hasn't rounded back. I mean, he's out there, he's practicing, he's playing, but he hasn't exactly in their eyes rounded back to starting form, or at least the Vontae Davis that they thought they were getting when they signed him to a contract. I mean, in Frazier's own words, we have an idea, and that's said in the context of where he's at recovery-wise, but we have a lot of football and snaps to be played before we really get a feel for where he is, how far he's come, and how close he is to what he used to be. I understand that there's a need for a staff to kind of play their cards close to the vest, and I don't see where Vontae Davis has really been addressing the media or accessible. I haven't heard any statements from him. So there's no way to really definitively know where we are on him. What I do know is this. Outside of the two-slot DBs we just talked about, Chris, here's a list of names. Lafayette Pitts, Breon Borders, Levi Wallace, and Ryan Carter. Those all sound like undrafted free agents. Those are our depth cornerbacks right now. Between them, they have a combined zero NFL starts, and one NFL tackle. So I'm remotely close. Hopefully our... I mean, that that doesn't exactly give me a ton of confidence in our depth at this position that really kind of needs... is going to need to be the backbone of our... one of the backbones of our team. I mean, it's... Chris, maybe one of the most important parts of our entire roster right there. And past our starters, it doesn't sound like we have a lot of... I mean, again, these young guys are going to develop. We're going to see where we stand on them. I just know that, in my opinion, the pro, the pro scouting department needs to be doing its work right now, earning their paychecks and looking to see what other NFL talent exists out there that may become available once roster cutdowns start happening. Because to you, get, go- you could run into a lawyer Malloy situation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. Unlikely, but possible. But at least finding some depth that has actually played NFL football. I think that that's going to be, I mean, unless some of these rookies can really show that they can be trusted to play outside corner, 
we're really gonna. I mean, that, that that lack of depth scares the hell out of me. And then I guess the the last low light I have here is the learning curve ahead of Tremaine Edmonds. Can we get this out of the way first? Uh, you follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. We were involved with the conversation this afternoon with the Jet Take, in which I promptly used the term Tremaine Edwards because my dumbass. I went back to the I. Not kidding you. I was taking a shit at work. I was on my phone, and I was like, I couldn't remember if it's Edmonds or Edwards. And I went back to the tweet and trusted the tweet of a 17-year-old high school senior from Florida that's a Jets fan, and his high school still has timeouts. And Chris, I went with Edwards. Chris, you should just, I mean, if we, you should probably know the players' names who are expected to start. I understand that you're not as crazy about this stuff as I am. I don't expect you to know who our fourth cornerback is, but I do need you to follow the starting 11 guys on the defensive side of the ball, okay? Yeah, because that, that takes a, a hit on us at Twitter. Like, oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about. How in the hell do they have 2,000 followers? <laughs> so with the departure of Preston Brown and the drafting of Edmonds, a lot of fans came into camp feeling really good about the upside of the middle linebacker position. To this point in camp, a weekend, the guy has made his share of flash plays. But there's also been miscues, which I chalk up to the fact that he's just turned 20 years old and he's still somewhat raw in his ability to diagnose and properly react to plays, specifically in run fits. You know, there's times where he just seems to be overrun. He's pursuing the wrong gap or he over pursues into the backfield and gets caught up in the wash and isn't where he's supposed to be to make a play. Now, the way this defense is constructed, when you look at the defensive tackle talent that we brought in with Star Lutulule, with uh, Harrison Phillips, with you know Kyle Williams, with what we have on hand, this line is built to, yes, do some penetrating and some pocket pushing from the defensive tackle position. But it's been revamped in an effort to try to keep our linebackers clean so that they can make more plays in the running game, which is something that didn't happen often enough last year and led to some of those... Chris, some of those games where teams just ran the ball on us, a lot of that came from the fact that there was guys getting to, offensive linemen getting to the second level and getting on our linebackers. So the whole idea is you're supposed to stay clean, find your run fit, go, you know, go chase down the ball carrier, or at least plug the hole. Because he's such a freak athlete, Tremaine Edmonds has gotten by through, through the early part of his high school and college career relying on that athleticism. He really need. I think that if we've learned anything this week, it's that he still is sort of a work in progress in terms of how he diagnoses plays, what his keys are, and how he can quickly identify what's going on and properly react to it. He has the athleticism. I mean, his ceiling is incredible. This is the, this is the interesting part of camp is to see a player get to work through these steps. You know what I mean? See where, okay, the coaching staff brought in this, you know, this lump of clay, albeit a, a six foot five, 250 pound lump of clay who runs like he should be playing safety. To see how they can mold him and kind of chip away at some of the imperfections and kind of craft what in their mind is the right player for their scheme. So that's not to say he's going to be bad when the regular season starts, but this is, it's camp. It's a learning process. Yeah, he's 20. And right now... I still can't, I still can't, like, legally pick him up on Chippewa <laughs> Uber when I Uber. So, ultimately, he, the guy is, I have faith in the fact that he's going to come to form. 
I just think that it's a little bit disappointing for me and a lot of other fans out there to hear that these, because I was kind of hoping, you know, you always hope for the upside of a player that he's going to come in and he's going to, oh, he's going to beat the odds and he's going to show you that he's not what you guys bagged on him for being. It seems like maybe the book, maybe the book on him was a little bit correct in the aspect of him being raw. And it's going to be really interesting to see if he can take those steps over the course of the next three and a half weeks. Now, on the positive side, okay, let's talk about some things that really get the blood pump and really get us fired up over here. First and foremost, I just, I just brought up his name. And just in talking about watching a player learn and watching how quickly they acclimate to the pro game, Harrison Phillips is fitting in phenomenally. We talked in last week's show about how shallow our talent pool was at the defensive tackle position in 2017, which explains why the Bills made it a priority. I mean, they spent free agent dollars there. They spent draft capital there. They did a lot to try to address the position. And coming into camp, I stated that Phillips was going to have a decent shot at earning some snaps, maybe firming up a rotational role with Adolphus Washington. Instead, Harrison Phillips has made what is arguably the biggest impact of any rookie at training camp to, to date. According to reports from Sal Capaccio and Joe Biscaglia, who, after years of covering training camp, I trust their eye, I trust some of the things that they put out there. He's been almost completely unblockable in one-on-one drills. Not just beating his man, but often mauling them to the ground like a grizzly bear trying to get after fresh bacon. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's... And just, just to think about that, this is a this is a guy. I mean, Joe Biscaglia in one of his weekly write-ups detailed how he went up against Marshall Newhouse. Marshall Newhouse is an offensive lineman. That's a, somewhat of a household name. He's played tackle. He's he's protected some of the better quarterbacks in football. Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr. That's Eli right, Derek Manning. Carr. Harrison Phillips, literally, to, to hear Joe Biscay, to read him describe it, it was a karate chop and just. A, just a mauling motion with his hands and just whooped his ass to the ground. Just left him laying on the ground and burst past him in a one-on-one blocking situation. To see a rookie stepping in and handling a veteran like that, okay, that's huge. And then when you talk about how he fits into the teamwork, they've already started expanding his role in terms of what, it, what they're asking him to do because he's learning and picking things up so quickly. When he first got here, they started him off as a zero technique, as a backup behind Star Lutulule, meaning that he would play directly in front of the center, and his intended responsibilities would revolve around grabbing the center to make sure he couldn't get to the second level, trying to grab a guard, and using his, you know, his natural strength and just size to occupy blockers and give everybody else in the D-line a one-on-one matchup. That's what a zero technique is supposed to do at the NFL level. That would kind of give Harrison Phillips, you'd think, coming into a situation like this, some time to rely on the things he's already naturally good at while he learns some of the nuances of defensive line play at the pro level. But just six practices into camp, they're already experimenting with him as a three-technique pass rusher, lining up off the guard's outside shoulder in the mold of the player he was drafted to eventually replace Kyle Williams. In that role, his ability to maul and penetrate is already starting to show through, which is fantastic. When you figure last year we were in the bottom five in the NFL for sacks, and there were games where we got very little pressure on the cornerback. So 
With that being said, we haven't played any real football. But if the kid keeps up, keeps up his performance this way throughout training camp, you're not just talking about disrupting a rotation. He might completely supplant Adolphus Washington on the depth chart. I think I, I mentioned that. I brought that up a couple weeks ago whenever we went over our, our roster. Is, if, is this a spot that Adolphus Washington can get cut? I mean, it's, anything's possible at this point. What I do know is that Washington, if I look at that rotation and I say, okay, if I need four guys and it's Kyle Williams, Harrison Phillips, Starla Tule, and you've got Adolphus Washington. And I have to, t- and I'm reading these reports and I'm seeing, and they're accurate. And I'm seeing that type of production from this kid. Yes, it's a lot to ask a rookie to step in and take on that level of responsibility. But am I afraid of putting him out there? Absolutely not. I mean, what is Washington proven at the NFL level? I mean, he only has, I think he has, what, a sack and a half to his credit this far in his career? He hasn't exactly been a world beater. With that being said, he's also the previous regime's guy. So I, I think that this is going to, this is developing into a really cool storyline as training camp unfolds. Chris. Roll Tide, I wish you could hit me with some Dixie Horn right now because Brian Dable is killing it. It's the fact that the abomination that was the Rick Dennison offense, specifically the passing attack, will not see a second act under new offensive coordinator Brian Dable. As I read the accounts of the offense and hear you know, analysis of what's going on, I keep hearing things about the personnel packages and just the formations that are being used. I'm talking jet sweeps direct snaps, wishbone formations with running backs and tight ends in the backfield. When Deshaun Watson last season started tearing up the NFL, his head coach pretty much chalked it up to a reimagined offensive attack that essentially took everything back to college in terms of route concepts for the receivers, spacing concepts, pre-snap motion, personnel groupings. That's exactly what I was hoping for from Brian Dable in the early stages here. And I'm encouraged by a lot of what I've read because it sounds like they're working on a a lot of these nuances into our passing attack while putting together a rushing attack that seems to constantly be generating big plays on a daily basis. Chris, how many times last season did the Buffalo Bills have to punt the ball because we ran a passing play on third down and not a single receiver ran a route to the first down marker? Uh, By your account, uh, that started week two. (laughs) <laughs> is when you started to notice it. I, I, I just, I, I, th- I just think that <laughs> I know. I look at Rick Dennison. I mean, we made the playoffs last year, okay. And I know I talk about his offense in terms that are not glowing, and I never will. I mean, in my opinion, the guy was a clown that should have been loaded into a cannon like the Barnum and Bailey Circus and shot across the parking lot at one Bills drive. Fired across the parking lot, not just relieved of his duties, but actually launched from the premises. Based on what I saw last season in terms of what he did with our offensive concepts and how much he really left on the table, I'm not getting that vibe from Brian Dable. And I've watched a lot of Alabama football, and I was expecting some creativity, and I'm glad that it's starting to play out that way in the early goings in training camp. Now, I know that a lot hinges on the talents of the guy under center. And I know that the big uglies up front in terms of you know, blocking and executing are really kind of what make an offense work, Chris. Uh, yeah. Uh, if, for those that subscribe to The Athletic, 
friend of the show, Eric Turner at Cover One, he put out an article on The Athletic, and the title of the article is that Rick Dennison's offense and Brian Daybold's offense, a complete 180. That's right, ring the Dixie horn. Woo, roll tight. When you look at what we're working with on offense, I get it. Okay, a lot of things have to go right, especially when you don't have a great group of talented players at wide receiver. And that may make it really difficult to make exotic schemes work when it comes to actual live-action football. It's gonna, our, our talent level on that side of the ball is not exactly top-notch, and that's going to dictate a lot of what we can and can't do. But with that said, the early returns on the hire have me encouraged then I'm not going to see any more of those plays where there's three wide receivers on the field and two of them somehow run to the exact same friggin' spot like they did last season. And there's just mass confusion everywhere. I, I really am encouraged by the early returns on Dable, and I can't wait to see the first preseason game where we can kind of get a feel for what they're going to scheme up against an actual opponent. I know it's going to be painfully vanilla, but even just to see some of it, would be nice. And then, hilariously enough that I'm slotting this in under highlights, Chris, Josh Allen at quarterback. That's what I'm talking about. You're starting to come around. Oh, my God. Starting to come around. <sighs> I, I hate. I hated putting this in here because I knew you were going to give me the business. The book on Josh Allen coming into the draft is that the quarterback has all the physical tools in the entire world, but that he would require a lot of polishing and work to, if he was ever going to reach his ceiling. So a lot of the talk heading into training camp was that Allen probably wouldn't and shouldn't be in the mix at quarterback or receiving a lot of reps with the starters. He's also, Chris, a seventh overall pick that we traded up to obtain. So you had to know that it was going to happen in bits and pieces regardless of what could and should happen. Right? Yeah, I'm ex- I mean, he said, I think after his first or second day, he was like, well, yeah, you know, it's you know, I'm I'm learning. Today, the first couple of practices haven't been perfect, but you know, I'm learning. He's playing finally playing against NFL defenses. He's made a couple of good throws, and a lot of his bad throws have been highlighted on Twitter. Uh, I mean, he's a polarizing player. I get it. It's a quarterback position. But guys, whether you like it or not, he's here. Okay, that's right. That, that's the hill I've chosen to die on. I may not like it, but he is here now. So let's ride this thing out. He has, in fact, been getting reps with the first-team offense, folks. And surprisingly, to some of you out there, the world is still turning. The sun has continued rising in the east, and to my knowledge, no one has been killed or maimed in the process. At least not yet. Chris, let's look at some of the, some of the finer points of Josh Allen getting some reps and getting to, you know, us getting to see his development thus far through camp. I mean, first and foremost, he wasn't accused of hitting any journalists on the sidelines like New York Jets second-round bust Christian Hackenberg did last year. That's uh, got to be a silver lining, right? Yeah, didn't E.J. Manuel do that, too, at some point? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure E.J. Manuel hit a reporter. I'm pretty sure that I've, I just kind of went into a booze-fueled haze for the E.J. Manuel years because I really don't remember much of that guy's career at all. Outside of that pass against the Panthers and... Uh, the, the, he did this really fruity dance in the end zone, like some kind of Irish jig because he ran a, a touchdown in against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I remember like 
Oh, that's his first career rushing touchdown. I bet you his end zone dance is going to be sweet. And instead, he tucked his arms up near his chest and did some kind of Irish jig. And I just chicken dance. I felt I felt it's like in a movie. It's like when you're watching a movie with your parents and like a really like racy scene comes on and everyone in the room just has that awkward feeling in the pit of their stomach and you can't make eye contact with anyone else. That's what I felt watching EJ Manuel do that jig. Okay. Well, there's from, t- <laughs> there's from nine hours ago from our friend of the show, Ryan Lysel. Hoshka knocks it into end practice. Allen is the only quarterback to lead his team to points in this last hurry up drill. Well, and that's it. The kid is showing flashes of accuracy and inconsistency that goes along with being a rookie quarterback. People are obsessed with the kid, so it makes sense that every throw of his will be analyzed, overanalyzed, and then analyzed a little bit more. Through the first week, the reports are that he's been up and down. At times, he shows accuracy thrown to the hashes, up the seam, and even with pressure in his face. At other times, he's overthrowing guys on simple screen passes and wheel routes to a degree that could cause some of the spectators to fear for their safety. I mean, Chris. I mean, how much of that can be, contri- can be contributed? He just doesn't have his, his feet set right. I, listen, that's it. That, these are the nuances that have to be addressed in training camp, which is why we're here. And it only takes me a handful of drinks to, to go to that. That, oh, look, it's quarterback's feet isn't set right. It's like I get smarter about football when I drink. Chris, nothing about you smart. Don't pat yourself on the back too hard. You're wear- we're-, we're doing a podcast right now where no one can see you and you still felt it necessary to put product in your hair. We could be doing video later. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> last, week, last week, I aired a lot of my takes. Okay, about Josh Allen, his pros and cons coming out of college, mostly because his camp unfolds, I don't want anyone to accuse me of backpedaling or flip-flopping in regards to how I feel about the guy as a prospect. I'm still uneasy as to whether or not it's actually going to pan out, but this last point I want to make is the thing that is going to continue to set him apart, and it's going to keep him in this quarterback race regardless of whether he belongs to be there or not, and that's his arm power. The guy's arm is ridiculous. We all knew that coming into camp, but talking to our friends Ryan Lacell and Icy Vic of the Rock Sports Network, who are there attending camp probably tw- at least twice a week, you know, they're on the sidelines with, you know, they're credentialed, they're standing on the sidelines a hand, you know, 50 feet away watching this guy throw the football. To hear them say it, the ball just looks different coming out of his hand than either of the other two quarterbacks on the roster, and it's not even close. His natural throwing power is absurd by comparison to anything McCarron or Peterman can bring to the table. And apparently, when you witness it up close and personal, it's like the skies part and the sun shines down and it just, someone, some lady somewhere starts singing and uh, <laughs> birds fly. It's like, a, it's like Snow White, apparently, when he throws a deep ball. I'll say this. I'm not an idiot. The kid, he's, going, he's here now. There's nothing I can do about it. So I've regained my composure in regards to who he is as a prospect and the fact that we drafted him. And I think that it's genuinely worth watching to see how this plays out. I, <laughs> Chris, I mean, am I being fair? 
I mean, I think I'm really, I'm because I'm really trying to give this kid the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we, we had some deep balls and uh, some nice intermediate routes that he's that he's hit on that you see on Twitter, and then you have stuff that I've seen retweeted by Barstool where he just misses a screen pass, and that's I think way overblown. There, he's missing on. Short stuff that he you technically well that goes right back to me and my hatred for the mainstream media exactly I mean you're talking about a group of people who love to pat Tyrod Taylor on the back where are you when he's running out of bounds three yards behind the line of scrimmage instead of just throwing the ball away oh my god all right folks I'm sorry for yelling I'm getting all fired up over here so as we move on in training camp there's been some trends and some things that I think are interesting and they're worth discussing first and foremost. A small nuance to things that I think might be missed by a lot of people who are so wrapped up in the quarterback battle that that's one of the only things they see. The team is really searching for versatility in the offensive line. Last year, we kept a large number. I think we had double-digit offensive linemen on the roster for most of the season. This year, I doubt they're going to carry that many. So given that, it's interesting to see that when you read about where they're working out the second-string guys and the third-string guys, who are basically going to be your depth at the position for the season. They have guys who are being cross-trained across the entire offensive line. You've got guards who are being asked to play tackle for some reps. Take some reps to tackle. Tackles, move inside, play guard. Guards, you're going to play center on some snaps. They're really shuffling the deck in terms of trying to see, get some versatility, see who has that, to their game in these backup players, which is a nuance I guess I I didn't realize existed. And I guess I've never really stopped to pay it. They could have been doing it last year for all I know. Well, don't you want to start the the best five linemen? You want to start the best five linemen, but you're going to need to carry eight or nine. So I guess there is some logic to, wouldn't you want to know, Chris, that those eight or nine could be somewhat interchangeable? Yeah, like Roy, who could play guard and center. Absolutely. I think that with the promotion of Groy to challenging for a starting offensive spot, they're still doing their due diligence to check on these backups to see who's who, who fits where. You know, I know that I think the player's last name is Wesley. He he, you know, they, he was playing okay at guard. They pushed him out to tackle. He got beat like a drum, so they brought him back inside. A couple snaps later, they make him play center for a down or two. I like where the staff's head is at in terms of really trying to drill these backups to nail down some solid depth. Figure out who's going to be able to give you versatility on that offensive line moving forward because cutdowns are, in reality, three weeks away, Chris. Then we're going to stick with the offensive line here. I don't think it's time for concern yet, but that moment may very well be coming. In most NFL camps, it's common knowledge amongst fans that things are easier on the defense than they are on the offense in the early going of things. I mean, consider that while the offense is working on trying to gel as a unit, get their timing down, learn where their blocking partners are going to be, what, what routes the playbook calls for, defenses are much more instinctive. You know, They're able to just read and react, go out there and play the game that they've been playing for years, and that helps them find their footing a little bit faster than the most NFL offenses. In Joe Biscalia's article today about today's practices, he made note that as the days of camp have gone on, there are some discouraging signs across the offensive line. 
In today's practice, there were 72 quarterback dropbacks, Chris. And of those, 11 would-be sacks were taken. That's over 15% of all plays that weren't handoffs. And on top of that, there was a number of instances where pressure came from almost, you're giving up pressure from everywhere on the line. There's no one place to point to and say, well, our left side of the line's holding up and it's the right tackle who's not doing his job. Because everyone's been beaten. Now, I don't know if that speaks to the talent of our defensive line or if we have a problem here, Chris. Well, that uh, to me, that kind of sounds like what we talked about earlier, the defensive backs, like, you know, a lawyer Malloy situation, like a camp cut. You know, maybe that could be something. If our offensive line is as bad as it seems in practice, I mean, we don't know because our defensive line could be good. Is that going to be something that we could look at, you know, come week three, the preseason, somebody gets cut on the offensive line from some other team, and we go in and nab them because we need help. It's a question that has to be asked, Chris. Given that we have a new offensive coordinator, a new scheme, and a new playbook, maybe some of this is to be expected. So I'm not going to rush to break the glass on my emergency bourbon just yet. But taking what we know about Groy's inexperience as a starter, Bodine's well-reported struggles to pick up pressure throughout his career so far, and the unproven nature of our guards, Wyatt Teller, John Miller, and uh, Vlad Dukas, I can't lie that I'm getting a little antsy. Hopefully with another week of practice, they can step it up because there's live-action football coming. And the last thing that we want to do is get one of our quarterbacks killed before we can even figure out if they're good enough to start for us. Now, on somewhat more of a positive note, and something that's really exciting to me personally, there are hints of the Cover 3 package showing up already in training camp. I mean, maybe it's because of the struggles of our nickel cornerbacks to really distinguish themselves. But as predicted, the presence of, you know, a veteran safety in Raphael Bush and a rookie who has a lot of upside in Saran Neal on the roster has indeed led the team to rolling out what is often referred to as a big nickel defense or the cover three. I, for one, am really excited about it, Chris. I mean, you're talking about a, a package being added to your defensive playbook. When it's executed properly, it makes it is one of the most balanced defensive packages that exists. It's hard to pick on through the air because you've got better... There's no linebacker. There's no Lorenzo Alexander playing strong side linebacker that you can pick on in the passing game. And at the same time, if you try to run the ball... You're not trying to block out a maybe 180-pound cornerback who's playing the slot. Instead, you're trying to take on a 205-pound safety who can probably get to the ball faster than and tackle more aggressively than your standard cornerback. It's a really balanced unit. It's a, it's a package that I've been a huge fan of for years. I mean, this is something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. They've so far been witnessed deploying it out there in the red zone and between the 20s. And it has made life difficult on our offense. In my opinion, it could, if our cornerbacks at the nickel position continue to struggle, you figure with the athleticism at linebacker of Tremaine Edmonds, and you take these veteran, you know, these explosive safety options that we can have to trot out there as a third defender on the field there, kind of patrolling the middle, this big nickel cover three, whatever you want to call it, could be kind of a boon to our defense next season really kind of cover that up. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. And then the wide receiver depth chart. 
Okay, last week we pegged it as one of the battles we'd be watching, one of the things that we thought was most interesting heading into training camp. Pretty much everyone knew coming in that Kelvin Benjamin was our de facto number one, and that Jeremy Curley was, given his experience, going to likely default to being our starting slot receiver. Zay, Zay Jones, second round pick last year, based on his draft pedigree alone, is assumed to be the number three. And past that, my expectation was that after a week of practices, we would see the pecking order taking shape. And so far, I've been terribly disappointed in that. Undrafted free agent rookie Robert Foster. (laughs) Roll Tide. Robert Foster, he made waves at OTAs and on the first day or two of camp, but he hasn't been heard from since. The book on him is that he gets open at times, but doesn't make an impact. I mean, he's dropped and double-clutched a ton of balls, and it's sounding less and less like he's a viable option to really crack this roster. There's something to be said for the fact that 6th and 7th round draft picks, you know, Chris, you maybe in particular remember how angry I was over the fact that we spent two two, two late-round draft picks on undersized wide receivers. Because I just didn't see it. When there was bigger, more physical targets that existed out there, we went with two kind of speed guys who were a little bit on the undersized side. They haven't really done much outside of a, a play or two to distinguish themselves from the other camp bodies. I mean, Ray Ray McLeod had that one highlight move where he deked a guy out. And, you know, Ricky Prowell, Austin Prowell, whatever your name is, he really hasn't, I, I haven't heard his name unless it's negative. So outside of that, they're not really distinguishing themselves. And they're all being outplayed by some guy named Cam Phillips, who I've never even heard of before. And then it's something because I had this argument with somebody at a bar one night that made my, it made almost gave me a nosebleed about how Kalen Clay was going to be the dark horse to be the number three wide receiver on this team. I haven't heard a word. Does anybody know if the guy is actually out there on the field? Bueller? 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 I mean, <laughs> Chris. The, the fact that Rod Streeter, who didn't get to play football last season, is back to getting reps with the ones in what has really become just a constant churn at the position is indicative of the lack of top-end talent that our roster has. And I didn't think it was going to be this bad. <laughs> I, Chris, I didn't expect miracles, but I figured that somebody would step up and really show that they belonged playing consistently at the NFL level. And through a week of camp, I... Uh, uh, it's, a, a horrible oh, out, oh, it's a horrible yeah. outlook for you. But, but what camp battles are you looking forward to for week two? All right. Before I draw my sorrows over the wide receiver position, heading into week two of camp, this is what I'm going to be watching for this week. An unheralded battle is taking place that I don't really think a lot of people are talking about. Ramon Humber. Ramon Humber was last year's starter who inevitably lost his job to Matt Milano. Matt Milano is now at weak side linebacker listed as our starter. And Ramon Humber's been working with the twos. Recently signed Keenan Robinson has started to take some of Ramon Humber's snaps on the second defense. I, let, let's face it. Last week, I referred to... Um, 
I, I, I referred to Ramon Humber as a character from Death of a Salesman. Okay, I, I refer to him as the main character of Death of a Salesman because he's old and he's been past his prime, yet somehow it's, he's playing as if he hasn't realized it. And I think the end may be coming sooner than he knows. The fact that he's already a week in giving up snaps to a guy who just got signed a week or so ago is not a good trend for him. And it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not he can whether he can maintain a hold on his roster spot. Then you've got Adolphus Washington and Harrison Phillips. For all the reasons I already talked about, that's going to be must-see TV in terms of camp battles that you better be keeping an eye on. Another one on the defensive line is Shaq Lawson against literally everybody else in the entire world. <laughs> Chris, at this point, Shaq Lawson has already been, it's already been announced that Trent Murphy is the starter. And Shaq Lawson is the, you know, the backup, which is crazy because Trent Murphy can't even practice fully. He's not even 100% yet. He's not. You are losing snaps already to a guy who isn't 100%. He's playing with half a leg. What? Plus, it, How, plus it don't help that Bean didn't pick Lawson. Well, different I, regime. I just, you look at it. That and plays the, a lot into the it. The writing is already on the wall for this guy. And it's on him to either scrap it out or to see if he can put on enough of a show that some other team comes calling and thinks that they might be able to do something with him. Kind of like a Reggie Ragland type situation. It's, it's crazy to me. It, I, I'm really interested to see what happens there. Considering the kid was a 19th overall pick in the draft. And that the other defensive end, Kevin Dodd, who was drafted, who played alongside Shaq Lawson and was drafted at the top of the second round that year. I mean, there was debate that year over who was a better, going to be a better pass rusher, Kevin Dodd or Shaq Lawson. Kevin Dodd is already out of football. He doesn't have a team. And with his injury history and just zero production, the fact that he's been outproduced by guys who weren't drafted. I doubt the guy will see many more snaps in football. Shaq Lawson may not be far behind him. And then, obviously, I'd be an idiot if I didn't bring up the quarterback competition. I'm already looking forward to next Wednesday <laughs> for more Josh Allen takes from Drew Gear. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I can't it's, wait. You're coming around. I like it. You're coming around. I am not coming around. You're coming around. I'm accepting the inevitable. It's like when you go to AA and they say, Lord, give me the, give, give me the strength. Uh, well, what is it? <laughs> the serenity prayer it's like the serenity uh, now no that's right yeah it is serenity, serenity now serenity now serenity and it'll now. end up in insanity later obviously the quarterback competition is huge each quarterback has been up and down to this point in camp we have a week and then we play a football game folks so between now and then i mean I, i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that i think mccarran is probably going to just based on his experience is going to be listed as the number one but that doesn't mean anything when you have a three-way battle like this, think back to when it was, who was it? It was EJ, it was Tyrod, and it was Matt Castle duking it out for who was going to be the starting quarterback. You went into every preseason game saying, I have, I have no idea if who starts actually matters. Should we? I know it's preseason, but should we do a Seagram's? You take McCarron and I take Peterman to start on next Thursday. All right, Greg Rosenthal, you get the hell off my podcast. Let's do it. Let's start Seagram's early. It's August. Fine. I and want if, some fruity drinks. And if jo- Seagram's. And if Josh Allen starts, we both drink. Exactly. All right. I'll take Peterman. You take there McCarran. it is, folks. You heard it there. Seagram's bet between gentlemen. 
Guys, thank you so much for coming. New listeners, old listeners, we're happy to be back finally talking about real football action. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. Make sure you give Poncho a follow. At Poncho Bila at Twitter. Uh, at, at Poncho Bila El Numero Uno. Poncho oh, wow. Bila. Poncho Bila, the number one on Twitter. There it is. And check out the Dallas-Fort Worth Bills backers, www.dfwbillsbackers.org. And go check out his GoFundMe page, www.gofundme.com slash poncho hyphen power. Guys, thank you so much for showing up to our show tonight. I appreciate it. We got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.